0: Good afternoon, everyone. Have you ever asked yourself, what is the church? Have you asked yourself, what is the purpose of the church in our age? Why does the church exist? What is the mission of God's church in today's world? That's the subject I want to discuss in today's sermon. The true church of God consists of those whose names are registered in heaven. The church is referred to in Hebrews 12 verse 23. Hebrews 12 verse 23 the church is referred to as the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. So the church consists of those whose names are registered in heaven. And where are those names registered? The church consists of those whose names are written in the book of life. In Revelation 3 and verse 5, Revelation 3 and verse 5, and this was addressed specifically to the church in Sardis, but the message can apply to all of the church as well, down through the ages. It says... In Revelation 3 and verse 5, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Only one whose name is written in the book of life could be subject to having it blotted out. And that would be any member of the true church of God. In Philippians 4, verses 1 and 3, Philippians 4 and verse 1 and 3, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, whose names are in the book of life. My beloved and longed-for brethren, whose names are in the book of life. So that's what the church, church consists of, are those whose names are registered in heaven written in the book of life. Now, the church of God, then, is not identical with any human organization. You might ask why. Because within any human organization of any size, there are likely to be some who are false brethren. Has occurred during the apostolic era. Paul recounts perils he faced in doing the work of an apostle, and among those perils, he said in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 26, he said there were perils among false brethren. And there were also, even within the phys- uh, the physical organized church body, False ministers. And Paul addressed that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning verse 13. There were false ministers who had crept into the church. And he, in discussing this, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, beginning verse 13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So there were false brethren, there were false ministers, there were false teachers. Which of course would generally also include false ministers. And uh, in second Peter two, second Peter two and verse one, Peter wrote, "But there were also false prophets among the people. And he's evidently referring to the people of Israel. There were false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So Peter prophesied that there would be false teachers And there would be destructive heresies brought into the church and many would follow their destructive ways. Jesus pointed out that there were and are deceivers using Christ's name. He said in Matthew 24 and verse 5, he said, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Many would come in his name, professing Christ as Savior, and yet they would be deceiving many. In verse 11 of Matthew 24, Jesus also said, Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Throughout most of the history of the church, the church of God has been scattered into relatively small groups or individuals outside the mainstream of so-called Christianity. And that church, the true church, can be identified by faithfulness to God's word and to His commandments. That's how we can identify where God's church is or where it has been. Historically, in Revelation 12, verse 17, Revelation 12, verse 17, it says the dragon. And that is a reference to Satan was enraged with the woman, the woman here being a metaphor for the church of God. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, notice how the church is described here. The church of God the one that Satan wants to destroy more than anything or any other entity, it is those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. In Revelation 14, verse 12, Revelation 14, verse 12, we read, here is the patience of the saints. The term saints comes from a Greek word which means holy ones, which is a reference to the church, those who have been made holy through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through the receiving the Holy Spirit and obeying the truth. And it it goes on to describe the saints as those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. True Christians live by God's word. In John 8, verse 31, John 8, verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Indeed, the true church lives according to the word of God, not the false traditions and false teachings of men. The true worship of God is not tied to a physical location, but it is, in, it is done in spirit and in truth. In John 4 and verse 23, John 4 and verse 23, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, notice he says the true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And he he was pointing out in that context that that, that the uh, worship of God was not limited or focused on a particular being being in a particular location. Overall, we, we who are of the church of God, are each one to be overcoming and becoming more like God as his children. In Revelation 21 and verse 7, Revelation 21 and verse 7, it says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So we are to be overcoming That means we're to be overcoming temptation. We're to be overcoming our own fleshly nature, our own lusts. And we are to overcome the world and we're to overcome Satan's influences. The church is made up of individuals and each of us as an individual must do his or her part. in accomplishing the mission of the church. Now, the ministry of the church, and the church does have a ministry, it is organized in a hierarchical fashion, and the ministry has the responsibility to feed the flock according to the truth and to help the entire church to grow into the likeness of Christ as each one responds to His calling as Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. Ephesians 4 and verse 11, it says, He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So he's mentioning various uh, offices of the ministry and functions of the ministry. And why, why did Christ appoint ministers? It says... It was for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the idea behind the ministry is to provide people to minister to the church and so in doing so to edify the body of Christ. To, to edify means to build up. And so the ministry is to edify to help the body of Christ that is the membership of the church to be growing and making progress in becoming more like Christ. As he goes on to point out, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge to the knowledge of the son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the ministry exists to help the, the members of the church grow into the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, uh, plotting. but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. So this is what we are to be doing, and the ministry is there to assist in that process of spiritual growth. Going on uh, on in verse 16, it says, "...from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share." causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So notice it's not just the ministry. Every part is to do its share. Every person, every member of the church is to do its share in this process of spiritual growth of the body of Christ. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. See, the church is supposed to be informed. It is supposed to have knowledge, spiritual knowledge. It's not supposed to be blind. And so uh, the, the job of the ministry is to help teach the truth, help the the people learn. Of course, every individual has his own responsibility in that regard as well, studying the Bible, learning and growing in spiritual knowledge and faith. "...who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus..." We're to be learning from Christ, from His Word. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we are to be growing, we're to be overcoming. We're to be developing spiritually and improving our lives and our conduct in the sight of God. And as a body, we are all involved in various ways in that effort to support and help one another to grow into Christ's likeness. We are to be working together in that process. Members of God's church are expected and required to live godly lives, having their character shaped after God's character as they are informed and empowered by God's word and by His Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, speaking to his disciples. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, there are a couple of things about salt. and If you... Uh, are eating a meal uh, typically you might sprinkle a little salt on the food to help bring out the flavor of the food but the salt is scattered about on the food the the salt is just a, a it's it's a, a small portion of what's there and so the salt of the earth implies that at least for this time there are not that many of us and we're scattered about as salt would be on a on a plate of food. And also salt is often used as a seasoning, especially, even today it's often used as a seasoning, but especially before refrigeration salt was used to uh, I I should say as a preservative. It was a seasoning, but it's also a preservative. And uh, it was used to preserve food from, from spoiling prematurely. And so we we are to have that same function as a church where to help uh, help the the uh, not just ourselves, but the world in general to be preserved. And we'll, I think we'll read a, a scripture later where it tells us that without that, without that preservative uh, influence there the the world would be utterly destroyed in verse 14 jesus said you are the light of the world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do they put a lamp under uh, do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house so let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we are to be letting our light shine. We're to be a light to the world. And to be noticed by the world so they can see our good works. And that would include include the works of preaching the gospel as well as how we live our lives and glorify your Father in heaven. 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written be holy for I am holy. So we are to conduct ourselves in uh, after the pattern of God's requirements being holy is he is holy. His commandments, his word reflects that holiness, that way of living, conducting yourself, that way of thinking that reflects God's character and His Spirit. In 1 Peter 2, beginning with verse 9, 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, you are a chosen generation, again writing to the church, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness Into his marvelous light. Notice that we are chosen, we are a holy nation, a special people, that we may proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And this would mean for us that we conduct ourselves honorably among those with whom we associate in the world, that when they speak against you as evildoers, They may by by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Notice they may be speaking of us as evildoers, falsely accusing us, but at the same time they will be observing how we live our lives, how we conduct ourselves, and so glorify God in the day of visitation, that is when Christ returns to each of the churches in the book of Revelation where the church eras were addressed, the seven churches of the book of Revelation, to each of those churches in Revelation was a consistent message. And that message was overcome. Overcome. Overcome your weaknesses. Overcome your lack of faith. Overcome your tendency to sin overcome the pulls and influences of the world and of Satan Revelation 2 and verse 7 he who has an ear let him hear what the ch- spirit says to the churches to him who overcomes I will give to eat from the tree of life which is the midst in the midst of the paradise of God in other words to him who overcomes will be given eternal life. In Revelation 2 and verse 11, Revelation 2 and verse 11, it's, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. In Revelation 2 and verse 17, Revelation 2 and verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Notice we to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, not just to one church, but all of the churches, because these, these admonitions apply to all of us, regardless of when we might have happened to live down through the course of time. It says, hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. In verse 26 of Revelation 2, uh, Revelation 2 and verse 26 He who overcomes and keeps my works to the end, notice it says, who keeps my works until the end, until the end. To him I will give power over the nations. In Revelation 3 and verse 5, Revelation 3 and verse 5, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Revelation 3 and verse 12, Revelation 3, verse 12, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 3, and verse 21. Revelation 3 and verse 21, to who, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So. This is a vital part of what we are to be doing as a church As individuals in the church of God, we are to be overcoming, growing, developing spiritually and letting our light shine. Some have thought that belonging to or remaining in some particular corporate organization is what makes one a part of the true church. And as long as they're associated with that particular organization, then they have nothing to be concerned about even if that organization departs from the true faith and embraces teachings and practices contrary to God's word. The church of God is organized, and the church of God has structure. It is not just individuals here and there existing separate and apart from fellow brethren unless there are no brethren within a reasonable distance with him to fellowship but today even if that's the case there there's a, there are means of communication where no one necessarily needs to be isolated by himself but even though the church is organized and has structure as I said before throughout most of the history of the church it has been Scattered into relatively small groups or individuals outside the mainstream of so called Christianity. And you can, if you've studied church history in any depth or detail, you probably understand that. Members of the church, however, should seek to meet and fellowship with others of like mind organized into a body of believers led by a minister or ministers who are faithful to God's word. It's not really good that people meet without sound leadership and and guidance. That's why God placed a ministry in the church. But we are not judged or given merit on the basis of mere membership in this or that or some other organization of men. But each one of us is judged according to his works, Each one is judged according to his works. We're each judged individually, and we're not judged on the basis of what organization we may belong to. We read in Revelation 2 and verse 23. Revelation 2 and verse 23, I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Notice he said, I will give to each one of you according to your works. Each one of you. So we must be overcoming our own flesh and any temptation to sin from any source and we must be following God in Romans 6 and verse 11, Romans 6 and verse 11, it says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Going on in verse 16 of Romans 6, it says, Do not, do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God bethink that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in those things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're being judged on the basis of cleaning up our lives, overcoming sin. And the outcome of our conduct will uh, will uh, be either death or eternal life, as well as if we are given eternal life, obedience to God and faith toward Christ, then we are also going to be rewarded according to what we have done. In Romans 8 and verse 12, Romans 8 and verse 12, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live for as many as are led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. So, we are to be following Jesus Christ being led by God's Spirit and the church exists as a body to help us do that. Now, we we uh, learned earlier, however, that there are false teachers, there are false brethren, there's deception that we must contend with. So we must be careful um, about with whom we choose to fellowship. You don't. It's not. Uh, it's not a wise thing to just move to a particular neighborhood and figure out which church is the closest or the easiest to get to or the most convenient or has the biggest building or some other superfluous reason for choosing a church. One of the things required of us is to come out of spiritual Babylon. We're to come out of spiritual Babylon. Babylon being uh, a, a a great false church and daughter churches. In 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 it says do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what Accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? The temple of God being a metaphor for the church. As he says, for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, And be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So we're to come out from among spiritual Babylon, the church that has defiled itself with harlotry and idolatry, and all all kinds of abominations. In Revelation 18 and verse 4, Revelation 18 and verse 4, it says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, her, that is spiritual Babylon, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. So the church of God is to be separate and apart from apostasy, heresy, idolatry, and so forth, even even though it may be practiced in the name of Jesus Christ. Another primary responsibility of the church is to fulfill our calling as watchmen by preaching the gospel. And we do that as a church. We proclaim the gospel by whatever means we have available. Whether it's print, internet, radio, or whatever other means we have available, including personal witnessing. Now, not everyone in the church is nor should be expected to publicly preach the gospel. Paul asked the brethren, however, to pray for him so that he could preach the gospel effectively. For, uh, in in uh, Ephesians 6 chapter, uh, Ephesians six and verse 19, Paul said, uh, asking the brethren to pray for him, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an, an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak he didn't have everybody in the congregation out in the street corner preaching to people but he himself had a commission from Christ to proclaim the gospel publicly but the the, the people the church the members of the church were to support that effort he had, he had been appointed a minister of the gospel with the responsibility to preach the gospel Romans 15, verse 15, Romans 15, verse 15, Paul wrote, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So even though not every one of us may be directly and publicly preaching the gospel, every one of us is or should be involved in the ministry through our prayers, through our tithes and offerings, and through our personal example. And even sometimes by explaining to someone who asks us why we practice and believe what we do. There are times when you may be asked about your faith, or you may have to give a defense of your faith. And that's happened to many people in the church, and uh, I know of one of one case recently where um, a person in the church was challenged because of the Christmas issue, and. The, his employer made a big a big production of uh, Christmas, and uh, everybody in the company is more or less obliged or expected to participate in that, and he refused. And it became somewhat of a major issue. He had to stand up. He had to explain his beliefs and his reasons for not going along with what his employer wanted to do, that, him, him to do in that respect, and if if any if you have worked for an employer, uh, many of you probably have faced the the, the same type of thing, and uh, perhaps in other ways as well, not just in your employment, maybe among your relatives, your friends, and associates, and so forth. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, 1 Peter 2 and verse 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. This is one way in which we let our lights shine. This is one way in which the gospel can be uh, advanced. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Give a defense to those who ask you a reason for the hope that is within you. Why are you a part of that church? Why are you following that particular mode of conduct? Be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, Those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Yes, we expose ourselves to ridicule. We expose ourselves to being defamed and accused and reviled. And we ought to expect that. But nevertheless, we have to conduct ourselves according to God's will and not according to the pressure of those around us who may hate us and ridicule us for our beliefs and our conduct. In our time today, especially since the apostasy following the death of Mr. Herbert Armstrong, there have been some promoting the idea that the work is over. The work meaning the work of preaching the gospel. And so there is no need to preach the gospel because Mr. Armstrong preached it, so we don't have to. And so the idea is that the only mission now for the church is, as some claim, is getting the bride ready. The idea behind that is the church has no mission or interests beyond itself. What does the Bible say about the church and our obligations regarding preaching the gospel? Matthew 28, verse 18. Matthew 28, beginning verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice He said teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, even to the end of the age. He would be with us in that effort. Now this is a mission given to the church. It was initially given to the apostles through whom it was passed on to the church, which has preserved and carried on their message down to the present day. As we read earlier in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is a major reason that the church even exists so that we can proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 9, Matthew 24 and verse 9, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you, meaning the church, His disciples, will be hated by all nations for My name's sake. Now the the subject in the context of Matthew 24 is events leading up to the end of this age. And Jesus said, as these events unfold, that all nations would hate his disciples. Now, you can't hate somebody that you don't even know exists. If all nations are going to hate us, then that implies that we will be known to them. And the only way that we could be known to them or the major way that we would be known to them is by doing a work of proclaiming the gospel. Else how would they know us? How would they even know we exist? And why would they hate us? Unless we are saying things that that they disagree with or that they despise, that they want to, to silence us for saying. In Matthew 24, verse 13, Matthew 24, verse 13, Jesus said, He who endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. This implies that the gospel is going to be preached to the nations all the way up to the very end of this age. We read in Revelation Revelation fourteen and verse six. This is in the in the context, this is at the very time that Jesus Christ returns to the earth and It says, I saw another angel flying, this is Revelation 14, verse 6, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So even at the, at the end, even as Jesus Christ returns, there will be an angel sent to preach this same gospel which the church is now proclaiming and must proclaim. Now, Mr. Armstrong, those who think that he finished the work, or the one that that many think finished the work, has been dead for more than three decades. A whole generation of Americans has reached the age of accountability, not only Americans, but people world over, have reached the age of accountability with little opportunity to have heard the true gospel publicly proclaimed. Most people in the world have never heard the true message of the Bible clearly explained. They may have Bibles, there, there, literally billions of Bibles have been printed and distributed worldwide, but to hear the message of the Bible clearly explained, that's a piece of the puzzle that's been missing for many people, vast numbers of people. The scriptures prophesy the greatest series of calamities in all history will befall mankind as the end of this age approaches. Now, let's ask, would a just and merciful God inflict such punishment on the whole world without giving an adequate warning and a chance to repent? The answer to that is no. And God has given His church a job to do. The job is to be watchmen, to issue the very warning that the Bible uh, tells us in its various prophecies. In Matthew 24 and verse 42, Matthew 24 and verse 42, Jesus said to his church, he said, "Watch therefore, for you don't, do not know what hour your Lord is coming." Notice he said watch. The church is to watch. We are the watchmen. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler Over his household to give them food in due season, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. And at an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it tells us here that we do not know when Christ is coming. But it also tells us we are to keep watching until he does return. Now, for generations, people have been expecting and preaching that Christ's coming is imminent. And some have set, set specific dates telling us supposedly when Christ is coming, but they have been wrong. Christ did not come when they expected. He did not come in the mid-19th century when many among the church of god at that time expected he did not come while mr armstrong was alive as he himself expected and many others also expected he did not come soon after the worldwide apostasy as many may have expected nevertheless being ready when christ comes is contingent on watching we must be watching Paul's message to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, is watch. Stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. In Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 10, Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil We're to take up the armor of God that we may be able to withstand or remain faithful in the evil day. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So we are to be watchful to the end that we may stand and withstand in the evil day and that the gospel may be preached. So we are assigned the job of watching. A watchman watches... And watchmen throughout history have been assigned the task of giving warning of approaching danger. Again, Christ has set the church as his watchman. So are we keeping abreast of the affairs of the world around us? Can you see prophecy being fulfilled in the the increasing lawlessness and godliness or godlessness of today's world? Have you seen the trends toward lawlessness and godlessness develop in our world? Can you visualize what the world will be like in the years ahead as the current trends continue in a downward spiral toward utter catastrophe? It is our job as a church to be aware of what the scriptures prophesy concerning the times that we live in. Concerning the consequences of decisions and trends on the national and world stage, where they and where those trends will lead us personally, and where they will lead the world. We must be able to see what's in store for our nations and the whole world if we do not repent, especially as the end of this age draws near. And remember, we just read that. That is described as an evil time. We're living in an evil age. And it's going to get more evil. If we allow ourselves to be complacent and drift aimlessly with the tide of evil, engulfing the world, we will suffer the consequences. So we need to be on guard. We can't just drift through life. God brought catastrophe and destruction upon ancient Israel and Judah because of their idolatries and godless rebellion. He has over the centuries brought catastrophe upon many peoples and nations for similar behavior, including ancient Canaan, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire, and many others, even the pre-flood world. And the fate of these and other nations, besides those I named, there are other nations mentioned in the prophecies, the fate of these and other nations and peoples was prophesied in advance, usually long before their destruction came. They were warned. Their destruction was prophesied. The fate of our nations today is written in prophecy. Do we know what those prophecies say? Can we see the handwriting on the wall? Those God sets as watchmen ought to know the prophecies. They ought to know Enough to be able to see the handwriting on the wall. They ought to be able to see what lies ahead. We are Christ's disciples. We have the responsibility to sound a warning. Now, can you think of anything going on in today's world that should be a cause for alarm? Can you think of anything going on in today's world that should be a cause for alarm? Have you noticed the disintegration of moral standards worldwide and especially in the affluent Western nations? Have you noticed how the family model, the very bedrock of a stable society is increasingly under attack? Have you noticed the increasing hatred expressed toward America and Great Britain and the erosion of their influence on the world stage? Have you noticed not only the profusion of False prophets, but also the increasing acceptance of rank paganism and even undisguised Satan worship in today's world. Have you noticed the proliferation of arms worldwide and the increasing belligerence of the enemies of Britain and the United States and of the Bible and its teachings? Have you noticed the dishonesty, blatant lying, hypocrisy, and corruption? of many of the leaders in the world, including politicians, religious leaders, the news media, and others. Do you understand how all of these things and more relate to Bible prophecy and the fate of nations? Now, we should not sound false alarms. And we should not be predicting uh, without sure knowledge When a particular nation is going to fall or um, other events, identifying events in specific terms that we don't really have a, a knowledge of. None of us knows when Christ is going to return. None of us knows precisely when the tribulation, for example, will begin, which will coincide with the destruction of our nations. That is, the, the uh, nations of Israel, the Israelite nations. So we shouldn't be sounding false alarms, but we should be trumpeting a warning of what is coming and why, why it's coming. There are many prophecies in the Bible. There were prophecies, uh, as I mentioned, prophets came along warning the people of Israel and Judah, where their their rotten behavior would lead, what it would lead to, their destruction. But I don't recall them setting any precise dates. They just said it's coming, and eventually it came. So we don't necessarily have to set dates or know precisely the time when it's coming, but we ought to be, be able to read the signs of what is happening in the world and where it is leading. And we should be trumpeting a warning of what is coming and why at the same time that we conform our own behavior to God's will. Notice what we're told in Ezekiel chapter 30, uh, 33. Now Ezekiel was set as a watchman and but this prophecy wasn't just for him. It was actually for our time as much as any time. In Ezekiel 33 and verse 1, again the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring a sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people... Then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He has heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned... And the sword comes and takes away any person from among them; he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Now, being a watchman is a grave responsibility. You know, if you're if you're in uh, in the navy, for example, or in an army, and you're posted to set watch, and you're you're supposed to be. Uh, giving the warning if danger approaches or the enemy approaches and you don't do your job there could be serious repercussions you could be brought before a firing squad for failing to do your duty and so the same principle applies here if we don't do our duty that God has given to us as watchmen then God will require the blood of those who are killed. He will require their blood at our hand. So he goes on to say, so you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. See, we, we are the ones who have heard the word from the mouth of God through the scriptures. And who else is issuing that warning? Actually, there are some. There are some people out there who have read the Bible enough that they realize things are desperately, have gone desperately wrong in this world. And they are trying to uh, trying to issue some kind of a warning. But their knowledge of prophecy is limited and often faulty. With the knowledge that we have, we have no excuse. It says, when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, Do you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. So we've got to identify, be able to identify wickedness when we see it. We have to know what lawlessness looks like. We have to know what a profligate, evil, rotten culture looks like. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you shall say, If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? So this is our job as watchmen to give a warning and also to tell people how they can escape punishment. They don't, don't have to Be destroyed if they would repent. So they need to be told that part of the story as well. In Isaiah 62 and verse 6, Isaiah 62 and verse 6, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is often put uh, for the whole of Israel. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, they shall never hold their peace day or night. The watchmen will not hold their peace. They will not be silent. They will not be silenced. They will not be intimidated or, or uh, pressured into not speaking out. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent. So we have a job to do as a church, as watchmen. We have to be preaching the gospel and warning the world of where its evil ways are leading, what it is leading to, which is utter destruction, except for the intervention of Jesus Christ. In Romans 13, verse 11, Romans 13, and verse 11, it says, Do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now, if it was high time to wake out of sleep when this was written about 2,000 years ago, then it is even higher time to wake out of sleep now. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So we... need to be casting off the works of darkness ourselves making sure our own lives are cleaned up and doing the job that Christ has given to us in summary the purpose of the church today is what it has always been and that is to prepare for God's kingdom through overcoming and by collectively doing the work of proclaiming the gospel to the nations